everybody, it's Animation Celery Day again! Crunchy conversations about classic cartoons! Doot, 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 know what's good for you! The doc is gonna help you feel better! Oh, 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 it's the place to go when you feel a little under the weather! I'm Matsy. And I'm Micah. You know Animation Celery. Matsy and I give each other cartoons to watch, and then the next week, we get together and review and discuss them. And this time, we're having kind of an odd duo. Uh, Matsy, he's going to look at the first episode of Groovy Ghoulies, and I will review the first episode of 101 Dalmatian Street. Um, this, I think, is the sick edition of our podcast, where we're <laughs> both coming off of colds. Well, worse for Matsy. Well, well yeah. yeah. Um, you know, it wasn't that long ago as we were recording that mm. I was editing last week's podcast. Right. And it was kind of amusing to hear me last Friday all excited about the four day weekend that I had because of my stat holiday. My right. first stat holiday in 2022 that I actually got off. Right. And now what has actually come to pass is that my four day weekend turned into an 11 day weekend. Because the day after we recorded last week's podcast, I got COVID. <laughs> Yay. You know what? We <laughs> parallel each other further. Yeah. Um, I wanted to take all of June off, mm, but, okay. but there are restrictions because this is peak time. So okay. I could only take the 6th to the rest of June off. All right. And my sick. I, I've been out sick leading right into it as though I've uh, dishonestly <laughs> taken the whole month mm. off by hook or by crook. Right, so, right. Yeah. You know, I'll, I get, I'll deal with those ramifications when I get back to work, I guess. Yeah. Um, I don't know. My COVID experience wasn't that bad. I guess I've got the, the weaker version, Omicron yeah. or whatever. Because it was, I, it was, I've described it as, Worse than a cold, but better than the last time I had the flu. Ah. So I was just, I was really congested. I had a dry cough. My throat hurt <clears throat> some. Sorry if I clear my throat or cough or whatever while I'm doing this. Mm. Um, but I am, my, my breath is just a tiny bit shorter than usual still. I'm, I'm almost at the end of it. Most of the symptoms are gone, but there's still something kind of lingering. Um, okay. But yeah, there was a little, it was, it was congestion. It was a dry cough, um, some aches in my body, but it wasn't like when I had the flu, I knew I had the flu because I couldn't move. I was just right. shambling like a zombie. It just hurt to do anything. Um, this was survivable. It wasn't until three days in that I actually took a COVID test because I, I sort of noticed that the reason that I was coughing was that if I inhaled far enough, my lungs would catch like they just didn't have room for any more air. Oh, so that's when I kind of went, um, I better check on this. And uh, boy, I was covid enough that I actually screwed up the first test and it still came in positive. Mm. I didn't I didn't leave it sit long enough, but it still still said, yeah, no, you're no. Look, you have so much covid, all the covid, <laughs> you know, um, Ironically, I like similar symptoms, but my thing was worse. <laughs> really? Yeah, but I didn't test because uh, I basically just caught whatever Raven had for two weeks and she tested, so. 
Oh, so she tested negative. Yeah, yeah. And then you got sick with similar symptoms, and so you assumed that's yeah. also negative. Okay, that's yeah, fair. Yeah, yeah. That's fair. Uh, yeah. So, so yeah. Um, that was my weird week. I mean, there's other stuff going on this week, but I'm not going to talk about it here. Um, okay. I I did I did check on cartoons though. What I oh, did okay. was. I decided I was going to, I was looking through Netflix and I, there were so many things that I was like, oh, I should watch that. I should watch that. And so I finally made a list. I I made a list of, I think it was nine things. I was like, these are things that I need to either check out or continue watching. Ah, like and I so, did. Ah, awesome. Yeah. Okay. And so I checked out the first two that were on my list. I went in alphabetical order. Mm-hmm. And I'm here to report my findings. The first one, alphabetically, on my list was Agretzko. Hey, all right. Which is a, for those who don't know, it's a Sanrio thing. It's like the the dark side of Hello Kitty. It's this character named Retzko, who's a red panda, who is a office worker in a frustrating modern world who deals with her frustrations by going to karaoke and singing death metal. Hmm. Now, Netflix showed that I had watched the first episode and five minutes of the second episode before I stopped. So I went in and decided I should start over. So I watched the first episode and I watched the first part of the second episode before I finally went, you know what? I this is fine, but I just don't care. Oh, same result. Okay. yeah, it like I get it. I understand the appeal of, you know. Oh, she's going into a clothing store and the the person, the, the clerk there won't leave her alone and pressures her to sign up for their reward program and everything. But I'm like, I kind of don't need to see the world's frustrations just reiterated at me. Like, hey, this cartoon character is dealing with the same stuff you are. I mean, I don't buy women's clothing, but I, hmm. I just kind of, I, it wasn't going anywhere for me. I was just like, I think I kind of see what this is going to be and I don't care. It's, it's it's okay. It's it's funny. You should say that because Mm -hmm. there is actually quite a bit of development in the story. Oh, is there? Yeah. Yeah. Each arc like takes a look at the way she deals with either like her love life or her job satisfaction or whatever. So it does Hmm. each, each arc does have a pretty solid story, Hmm. but I can see it's maybe not for you, but yeah. It's, it's, well, it's, it's not just like, you know, uh, it's not just like observational comedy, you know, like, oh, this is frustrating. Heavy metal again. No, it, it, it builds to things. Well, maybe I should watch that second episode beyond the first five minutes then and see mm. if it goes anywhere. Mm. But uh, that was my that was my initial experience with Agresco. It was enough to go, OK, well, your second experience, <laughs> the same experience. Oh, yeah, 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 I guess. So. Yeah. So I guess I'll have to come back to that one based on your recommendation that no it gets good you know after the mm. first 20 hours of the tutorial it's no good. no um, no it's better than that but. <laughs> um but so then i had moved on to the second one and the second one is something called close enough okay now close enough is the new series from jg quintel who is the creator of the fairly well-known uh i think cartoon network uh i think it's cartoon network uh show regular show Right. Which is the adventures of teenage slackers, the Blue Jay Mordecai and the raccoon Rigby, who work at a park where their boss is a gumball machine named Benson, 
<laughs> and the owner of the place is some pink thing named Pops. And there's also some other characters like a a weird ghoul named Muscle Man who has a a pretty amusing. Um, <clears throat> I'll give him this. He's got an amusing running gag where he tells your mom jokes, mm-hmm. but the punchline is always my mom. Like okay. he doesn't he doesn't understand that he's supposed to be making fun of your mom. Yeah. Um, and his little companion, a ghost with a hand on its head called the High Five Ghost. Yeah, that's and the weird thing on this show is the two main characters, the most normal things. Kinda. Yeah. And then there's uh, Skips, who looks like a, a, I think he's a Yeti, or perhaps a white ape of some kind. Okay, yeah. Um, Who is notable for A, being voiced by Mark Hamill, not doing his Joker voice, and B, you mentioned last week the frustration of not having male characters with nipples. Oh, yeah, boy. Okay. The nipples yeah. on this guy. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'll, I'll, I'll post a diptych of uh, him and King Hippo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So regular show, regular show kind of rubbed me the wrong way because I started to notice the pattern in every episode, which Mm. is them doing something that is ostensibly normal, but doing it to such a degree that some supernatural catastrophe happens. Like they eat a meatball sub so big that a portal into outer space opens or something like that. And then Skips has to save the day. Um, And once I kind of noticed that every episode had that pattern, I lost interest. It's like I said with King of the Hill a while ago that King of the Hill was best watched in short clips on YouTube, but watching whole episodes, maybe not. Oh, I think, yeah. I think regular show might be kind of the same way where it has good gags and good points to it. But if you're watching a whole episode, it's like, oh, we have to clean this shed full of chairs. Wow, there's arcade machines. Oh, we're playing so hard and we got a score so high that now we're getting teleported into the machine and skips need to save us. I don't know. You know what? Maybe anyway. I've experienced this optimally then, because I always think that I kind of like that show, but <laughs> that's the degree to which I've watched it. Just somebody else is watching it and I stop and watch it with them, you know, and then mm. go off to do whatever else I was doing. But yeah. Well, I don't know. Maybe I'm oversensitive to the maybe I've just seen the wrong episodes. I don't know. But anyway, mm. the point is that Close Enough is the new series from the, sh- the show's creator. Yeah. And it follows... Josh and Emily, who are a married couple with a little girl named Candace, and uh, to afford Los Angeles and the a, a good school zone for their kid, they have to live in an apartment with a divorced couple, Alex and I don't remember the lady's name. Okay. So, so that's kind of the premise of this. It's it's Josh and Emily trying to be good parents while they're crammed in with this other weird divorced couple and this daughter who is. Kind of this weird understated prodigy in some ways. So this is a show for adults, I guess, right? Right? Yes. Um, I mean, regular show, I guess lots of people, probably you would say it's for teenagers, but probably little kids watched it. Yeah, it was slightly more mature. Yeah. But but close enough, like they're swearing in it. Okay. um, And and references to sex and things like that. So it is it is. I think it's rated like TV 14 for language and nudity. Although, although the experience that I had was that the, I only watched the first episode and it's half sodes. So two episodes, I guess. Mm. Um, and the, there was no nudity. I will say it was, I was kind of, cause I saw that warning. I was like, is there actually going to be nudity in this? But in the instance <laughs> where Emily, where Emily lifted her shirt, there was a black bar over it. So I was like, okay, oh. it's, there's actually not nudity in this. That's fine. That's fine. But it's spiritual nudity. 
it's implied. Yeah. Um, but there is mature language to it and stuff. Um, so let me give you my experience here. The first episode, I, I, I haven't watched this show because regular show rubbed me the wrong way. Okay. But the more I thought about it, I was like, you know what? This is a totally different. This is a more grounded idea, right? This is, you know, people doing people things like this is a relatable situation. You know, people, this couple who's forced to live with another couple all cramped together just because they don't have money. Okay, right. fine. I, I'm, I am letting my bias against regular show affect whether I watch close enough. So let me watch close enough. The first episode started, there's, there's usually a little like intro sequence before the title. Mm-hmm. And this one was Josh recording, uh, uh, the kid Candace doing stunts on her Heelys and, it resulted in the thermostat being broken in such a way that the vent, the air vent in the ceiling opened up and started sucking everything and everyone in the room into it until Emily showed up and broke it and saved everyone. Hey, this and sounds like, like the same lower scale premise of regular show. Yeah, that was exactly <laughs> my thought. I was like, um, hmm. OK, so then the rest of the episode was that Candace needed to make a the, the parents were unaware that Candace needed to make a patch for the quilt, uh, a family tree patch. I guess it was like the uh, the kid and their family mm-hmm. and the Josh and Emily were not aware of this and it's due tomorrow. So they're like, "Uh oh, we better make this quilt. And so they end up going to this garment district and trying to buy like cloth and thread and stuff. And. Josh gets pickpocketed by this little girl and they chase her down as the the garment district is closing and they end up in this little like abandoned factory of some kind where there's a whole bunch of little kids who are like little British street urchins who want to be parented. Hmm. And so they they agree to make the quilt for them in exchange for giving them some parenting. And so they do and they tuck them in and they get their quilt and everything. And when they wake up the next morning, they find out that what they thought were these cute little British kids were actually these weird little old homeless people who are crazy and wanted to be parented. And so they oh. had to escape from this. And then they found out that while they were gone, uh, Candace just made her own quilt patch. Huh. All right. So I was like, hmm, it's not what I expected it to be, but OK. And then the second one. Emily, as a little bit of escapism, she likes to go to open houses and see other houses that other people live in and be like, oh, it would be so nice to live in this house. And while um, Josh is at home fantasizing about a family bike, you know, one of those bikes that's like six seats all in a circle that everybody rides at the same time. Emily goes off to this open house and she loves this house and she meets another guy who loves this house And this child star who plays Mona, Arizona, who is an emancipated minor. And the three of them decide to pretend to be a family while they look through this house. And then Josh gets his family bike delivered and is impressed by how fast it was until the delivery man tells us, tells him that he ordered it three days ago. And he realizes, wait, Emily hasn't been home in three days. And Emily is at home and there's like, is, is it this open house? And there's sitcom music and a laugh track 
And she notices that the taps don't work and the food is painted in the fridge. And she tries to go outside, but there's nothing out there but static. Oh no, she's trapped in a sitcom house with these people who've forgotten that they're real people and not sitcom people. And Ah. all she can see when she looks in through the fourth wall is a studio audience and a cameraman. And the she tries to get out of it by doing this is where the nudity is where she tries to get out of it by doing things that you can't do on a sitcom like flashing them and swearing and giving them the finger and everything but it doesn't work and then she hears the soft music and decides that what she really has to do is sit down with the family and talk about her feelings and that's how she gets out okay and that's how they escape from the sitcom house so this is just regular show again I see. So I'm pretty much done with it. Huh. I, as you were uh, describing all that, I was looking at the visuals of it and I mm-hmm. recognized, oh yeah, this thing. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it's, it's a big roadblock for me, the way the show looks. Yeah. This J.G. Quintel guy really loves his droopy noses, doesn't he? It works pretty well in the Blue Jay, but yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so Close Enough is just, okay, not only can J.G. Quintel only make one episode of a show, he can only make one show. So, all right. Oh, and it's invited you to make a pithy review, like, Close Enough is comes up short or something like that. <laughs> yeah. Close Enough is close enough to regular show that I'm getting far away <laughs> from it. Yeah. Um. So that's more or less what I did this week while I was sick. Um. How about you? Okay, one frivolous bit up top here. Um, <clears throat> I saw a product that's an Astro Boy Lego, and like a lot what? of Astro, yeah, not not <laughs> like not like a minifigure, but like a you know, like a, probably like a Lego le- set that makes Astro Boy. Make, yeah, it makes like a five inch Astro Boy, you know, a twelve huh. centimeter or something. Anyway, um, probably bigger than that, probably. But like a lot of Astro Boy things, I've seen this all all the time in uh, you know like T shirts and the like where. The image will be half complete Astro Boy and then half like missing his shell so you can see all his inner workings. Right. Which is really neat, except every time they do that, they neglect the fact that he has two working machine guns in his buttocks. <laughs> so, yeah, I look for them. Where's his machine guns? Where's his uh, big drum of ammo that must be in his pelvis? Anyway. Yeah. So enough of that. Um, I... I'm continuing on with my My Little Pony finishing tour. Mm-hmm. Um, and how I'd said that season nine seemed to have like a real thrust at the beginning and then kind of meanders into, you know, random episodes. Well, it's back. They uh, had an episode that featured Grogu, the evil goat, and uh, how he's trying to build this team of season uh, ender villains. So. Right. If if only T-Rex and uh, Chrysalis and Cozy Glow can team up with him, then they'll have the uh, the combined might overcome Twilight Sparkle and her retinue of ponies. Hmm. Uh, in this one, Grogu sends them on a team building exercise, like an important <laughs> one. They have to a a a pony of legend stole his magic bell. A lot of his uh, magical power resides in a bell that usually is on his collar. Um, So this pony stole it and then stowed it atop Mount Everhoof, where 
there's all kinds of impediments to getting up there, right? Like this, the, there's, it's up in a magically sealed cave and there's uh, such strong winds that you can't fly up there. Okay. Um, so if only these three villains can work together to do it, but um, they, <laughs> they're oil and water, right? They're all so egotistical they won't. But Cozy mm. Glow... She implores them that, you know, that maybe this, this could work. And she, she does it in song, which starting off really good song. Mm-hmm. It, the song's a, a, a better way to be bad. Um, mm. Anyway, uh, when it comes to actually going out and doing it, they all just become uh, lone wolves, right? That's like, I'll just try it on my own. Um, <laughs> and all of them fail. But a neat thing is when they, when they regroup, uh, they bond over discussing their evil schemes and accomplishments mm-hmm. and also how much they all hate Twilight Sparkle. <laughs> yeah, it's cute. And so after that, they, they go up there as a unit and work together. I think one funny thing in there is Cozy Glow early on. Um, she's kind of like a Shirley Temple-like uh, Pegasus. And so her main thing, she doesn't really have uh, power. She's just... Uh, evil and uh, manipulative. Kind of like, um, what's her name from Cats Don't Dance? Yes. Oh, very much. Yeah, and she's got the curly ringlets and all that. Anyway. Oh, um, okay. So she meets the, the there's a a hermit pony at the base of Mount Everhoof. Um, I think his name is Rusty Bucket. <laughs> and uh, he's this old pony that is like wearing a whole bunch of... Uh, like he wears a bucket helmet and, a, and he clanks all the metal he's wearing. Anyway, um, it's basically what he's there to do is to make sure that no pony ventures up this dangerous mountain. And she keeps on trying to uh, coax him into doing it. Like if, if she'll if she'll be his friend, maybe he'll help her get up there. But he he doesn't bite and she keeps getting flummoxed every time she tries. Hmm. So the beauty thing is when when these three villains have bonded the next time through, they're just they're going by his shack and he comes out and says, Oh, Hey there. And they intentionally cause an avalanche to bury him. <laughs> and they're laughing as they go by. <laughs> I mean, he, he emerges and, you know, shouts, I'm okay. Before they, the, the shot ends. Right. But, yeah, yeah. I can see their parachutes. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So I, maybe you could tell like the direction of this episode and maybe the arc is that the irony of Grogu thinking that they, that, if they work together that they can be truly evil is that it'll be the opposite. If they mm. discover friendship, right? Yeah. They have to shake it off at the end and realize like, Oh no, this is for the greater good. Even though this feels good. Ah, you know, yeah, um, yeah. although I think, you know, realistic in real life, bad people have friends, right? <laughs> yeah. One thing that though, though, if this, this goes in the direction that it appears to be set out, right? Where, they all bond over hating Twilight Sparkle and they all they all bond over having their own machinations, right? Um, what I would like is if it goes the direction where by the end they realize, you know, that, wait, we've discovered the power of friendship. There's no reason for us to be evil. What I would like is for Grogu to throw off his disguise and it's Twilight Sparkle and she just goes like, surprise, <laughs> bitches! <laughs> <laughs> that would be pretty good. That would be pretty good, actually. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, overall, 
Uh, remember last week I said that that uh, uh, the episode featuring Yona the Yak was the best one yet? Yeah. I like this one even more. So it's trending in the right direction, this final hmm. season of My Little Pony. Good. So Uphill, so to speak. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah. Oh, oh, hey, social media is blowing up. You see this? It's a, it's about um, a, a new animation celery slammers trailer. Oh, yeah. All right. Cool. The poster, I, I didn't see that. Yeah. The post. Well, it's just happened. So the, the oh. posts. But I think people are dissatisfied because all the posts are like, what the F and who the F is this guy? And I'm hmm. effing done. Hmm. So that's. People need that's, to watch their language on the Internet. Uh, well, yeah. <laughs> um. So, you're curious, right? We got to check this out. I I am, yeah. Who All is right, this so character? Let's start the trailer, and and for the visually impaired, I'll describe that this, right. which is everybody, because this is a podcast. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Captain Lou grunts as he lands in frame on the hunger stage. Hmm. He sees a banana and eats it. You know, a show of limited animation of him slapping his palm to his mouth, and the banana disappears, yeah, and yeah. then there's a a health recovery nimbus that goes around him. Yep. He sees a hoagie, he eats it. He walks to a lasagna in a pan, and he eats it. Hmm. There's the bottled Trisolia Emperor, and Lou consumes it. He eats a pail of Nepos from Kaiba. He catches up to the gingerbread man and eats him. Then we see a close-up of his face as Captain Lou notices something. He walks over to a TV dinner and eats it. Immediately he sways in the sickened condition and falls over. Then, a pointed metal leg stabs down and off the grounds him. A metal canister with crab-like legs juggles Lou with another strike of its legs and an aerial slam. It ejects a TV dinner from the top of its fourth, from the top of its can huh. for a fourth hit that knocks the portly wrestler further off stage. And then the camera swings to show the master of the machine as well. It's the Melmacian with an especially big nose and nostrils, crazy hair tufts, and a lab coat and gloves. Art and his K-Art Chopper are announced as uh, Art Cuisine Really Cooks. Huh. They walk wow. together. Yeah. I can see why people are uh, kind of disappointed by this one. Yeah. <laughs> or or at least baffled. Yeah. It's not. It's Alf, but it's not Alf. Right. It's not even um, uh, Larson Petty. Hmm. So while the chopper is beating up princess toadstool art continues to move and separate farther from the robot and next we see art blasting denver dapper dually with a director's megaphone they're really reaching for his, for his tool set here um then turning to hurl a newspaper through mave and all the while the care chopper moves and you see them side by side each doing a jump and then jump jumps asynchronously to demonstrate independent control next we see art cuisine grabbing spartacus kicking him in the shins with his pummel and tossing him and then an example of K-Art Chopper's grab is its wiry arms stuffing warp into its canister and then ejecting him in a TV dinnered state, huh. stuffed in a tray with only his head and limbs clumsily protruding as he waddles away. Oof. We see a heavily dented, battle-damaged Chopper is struck again and again by Captain Lou until it is KO'd, but a new one spawns next to Art, but he's in his alternate Larson Petty pirate costume. <laughs> Then we see a series of combos extended by timely TV dinner ejections. A shot of the chopper 
uh, ejecting a dinner and then consuming numerous items to quickly eject another tray. Um, near as I can tell, most of this has been on uh, the hunger stage in Candyland, so probably art doesn't have a stage. Hmm. But you do get a non-vocal version of the ALF cartoon theme song, so uh, that's pretty cool. Hmm. Hmm. And finally, a window shows the snout of Art's assistant speaking, Attention K-Art Choppers! into a microphone, and numerous choppers sprout all over the, all over the stage, KOing all opponents. The announcer uh, spouts, Art Cuisine wins! And his windscreen is him holding a coin as though to hypnotize as he mutters, Buy my machine! Buy my machine! Right. Well, that's fascinating. The deepest cut. Yeah. I cannot believe it. That's weird. It's like they, it's like they don't want to sell this game. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what to say. That's... I, it's, it's weird when it's not who you think it's going to be, you know? Like, you figure, oh, well, surely Alf, right? Yeah. He can like he can make like a tomato rose or something, but uh no. Hmm. I guess you need yep. some villains in there. Sure, sure. Anyway, I'm looking forward to this game. It's like it was made for me. Hmm. So uh after that excellent theater, maybe uh we should go on to uh another fantastic narrative. Yeah, sure. That's let's let's call it that. Um Groovy Ghoulies is the name of this thing. It's got a convoluted history, which is basically like filmation or or somebody realized that monsters were hot in the 60s and in the late 60s and decided they wanted to capitalize. Uh, they could also see that Scooby-Doo was getting all the ratings. And so filmation kind of leached off of the Archie show based on the Archie comics specifically the Sabrina, the Teenage Witch portion of it, to make this show about uh, Dracula, uh, a Frankenstein monster, and the Wolfman uh, called Groovy Ghoulies. And I can't really describe it any further than that because this thing has no structure. Um, well, <clears throat> it's, 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 it's maybe like a Monty Python episode, I guess, sort of. Um, or you know what this show is? Mm. I, I never watched Laughing, but yes, it's like that. Yes, yeah, it is Laughing. Like it, it steals bits directly from <laughs> yes. Laughing. Yes. So this first episode is called "When I Grow Up," but don't be fooled. That doesn't that doesn't imply any kind of plot here. It seems that the names of the episodes are taken from the musical number that's performed at the end by a parody of an existing pop group. Mm. So we'll get to that, but. After the interminable title sequence, uh, which is a full minute long, um, we get welcomed to Horrible Hall, which is the the cool, cool place where uh, all the various ghoulies live, I guess. And a bat, which is Dracula, tries to fly in, except that the window moves and he quips about it. Um, and then, um, <clears throat> Frankenstein show or Frankenstein's monster, Frankie shows up. He gets shocked by lightning and says, I needed that. And people laugh at that. And it's kind of the first part of this episode is just really bad jokes being told by characters and punctuated. There isn't a laugh track. There's, 
It's like someone will tell a joke like, have you seen my uh, shoe box? No. Well, here, let me show you. And then the, a boxing glove comes out of the shoe and then it just shoots to this door going like, Ooh, <laughs> it's yeah. <laughs> um, we're sort of introduced to various characters. These two little gremlins named uh, Ratso and Batso who tell a bad joke to a this character who I don't know if she's supposed to be Elvira or um, who's the other Elvira? Um, Vampira. Vampira, right? Or maybe it's um, uh, uh, Morticia from the Adams family. I don't know. You know, these characters all look basically the same. I mean, those three characters do. So it's some woman. I think her name is Bella. Um, probably named after Bella Lugosi, I would guess. Huh. But there's like a a thing, the almost human cannonball, where Frankie is shot out of a cannon a short distance and then quips that he didn't need that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> so after <laughs> this weird collection of jokes, we go to, I guess, what's supposed to be the first get of the thing which is uh dracula getting ready for game night in the game room as evidenced by the time on the spooku clock <laughs> um <laughs> yeah uh, the, the wolf man shows up on a skateboard because he's the cool guy you know he's the one who's like he talks like wolfman jack a little bit and well, like a hippie kind of well, hey, yeah man. yeah yeah. yeah, and 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 much like um, Shaggy from Scooby-Doo just interjects the word like in there where it's not necessary. Uh, Frankie shows up and get hit by lightning again and says again that he needed that. Um, and now they're looking for the secret passage that leads to the game room, uh, which is eventually found when... <laughs> it, it doesn't even make sense. Like, Frankie steps backward onto a skateboard and goes into a armor suit of armor holding a sword and gets poked in the butt and then crashes forward through the wall <laughs> into this torture chamber, which I guess is the game room. There's a lot of people getting thrown into things accidentally um, by things. Dracula gets put on the rack and Wolfie leans against the wall, but leans against the switch that turns it on. And so Dracula gets all stretched out. This is where I thought that this was like, I still thought that this show was going to have a plot. And so I thought maybe oh. when I grow up was referring to like Dracula getting extended really tall. But oh, OK, no, he just goes into a dunk tank. I guess it's like a witch, like confessional, you know, the kind of thing where sure. they're like, you know, if you drown, you you were innocent. But if you're uh, if you if you survive, you're a witch. And then Dracula gets chained to the wall, but he can turn into a bat, and so he escapes. The Wolfman takes off, and uh, I I didn't really see Frankie go outside, but he's outside now, and uh, Sabrina shows up. And Frankie gets struck by lightning and says that he needed that. <laughs> That's yeah. the end of that sketch. Uh, and now it seems like they're putting on a play, Little Red Riding Wolf. Um, hmm. There, there are other secondary monsters in the front row. There's a ghost and a mummy, mummy sounding like Edwin, and a weird skeleton. They're, the joke being that if this is bad, he's going to get his mummy back. <laughs> um, so good, he did it twice. Yeah, really. So, Wolfie is Red Riding Hood in this situation, or Red Riding Wolf, I should say. 
the mm. bad guy being Frankie dressed as a little girl. He wants the goodies in the basket. The goodies as depicted are these little blue fur balls with red eyes, kind of like Venonat from Pokemon. Um, <laughs> there is, there is a gag here that I actually found amusing for no reason. <laughs> like it was just, <laughs> all right, <laughs> which is that the ghost in the front row goes, boo. <laughs> I actually thought that was fairly funny. Sure. Um, it, it gets you at the surprise because there's yeah, no setup. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. It's like you think about it. It's like, oh, yeah. Um, now, Dracula is grandpa in this. And as as in the Red Riding Hood story, Frankie, dressed as the girl, shows up and takes uh, Dracula grandpa's place in the bed. Um, this is where the mummy says that it's so bad he's going to ask for double his mummy back. <laughs> Which is, okay. Um, and then we get the typical, you know, Red Riding with, you know, big teeth or whatever. And it's the better to eat the goodies with. But it turns out that the goodies are actually baddies. They have little pitchforks. Uh, hmm. Okay. <laughs> I, I, I guess I saw that coming, but also I didn't really understand what the goodies were to begin with. Right. Yeah. Anyway, they, they chased Frankie off and that's more or less the end of the sketch. There's, there are more little jokes, but you know, I'm not going to go into every joke that they tell, but yeah, that's, that's the end of this play and the end of this segment of the show. Oh, except that there's a, the Mr. The hand from master hand from smash brothers shows up and pummels the Wolfman into the stage. Yeah. I was like, let me give you a hand or something. Yeah. 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 Now we get our first musical number. Uh, which is the Groovy Ghoulies themselves being a band singing about the monster cookbook. And it's, it's weird because I expected the things in the cookbook to be monstrous. And yeah, they're, they, they're more like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle stuff. Well, at first they were just kind of normal. It's like chocolate meatballs. Like, okay. Right. I mean, that's probably not going to taste very good, but I mean, I can understand conceptually how that might sound to a kid, like a satisfying treat, right? Hmm. Um, so there's that. There's like marshmallow tacos. Yeah, okay. Marshmallow tacos, sure. And a, a, a peanut butter steak. I don't know how that works, but like so far, this is all, you know, this is not I intrinsically unappealing foodstuffs, right? It's, it's not even that weird. I could imagine no. like a meatball with a chocolate mole sauce. Right. Yeah. And I could um, I could imagine a steak with a peanut butter sauce. I personally believe one of my favorite sandwiches that I never really get to eat anymore is peanut butter and bacon. Like that's actually a legitimately good combination in my mind. Hmm. Um, but then the second verse gets a little weirder. Uh, it starts talking about licorice pizza with I think it had some kind of topping. I can't remember what it was, but it was. Like, was that the one with sassafras? Yes, sassafras. That's what it was. <laughs> sassafras and something else. It was it was like this is where like, OK, these ingredients are starting to get a little more gross. Um, there was uh, quail stuffed with, again, something gross. I don't remember exactly what it was, but I was like, OK, now I'm starting to understand. Like this second verse is full of worse uh, gross confections. But um it is basically just a musical number that goes on and on with some visuals of 
you know, windows laughing and Frankie shambling and there's like like stuffed heads of monsters and and various monsters all, all yeah kind of all this all this yeah. norm prescott lou shimer stuff is like this right where like mm. the archies have these kind of music numbers too you know mm-hmm. yeah sure yeah, yeah yeah now remember i mentioned rowan and martin's laughing or you did and i jumped right. on it um the next sequence is lifted directly from that where the various characters pop out of various windows and doors to call upon each other and tell each other bad jokes. Um, mm-hmm. Any highlights? <laughs> uh, Frankie gets shocked by lightning and says that he needed that. Um, okay. I also started to notice at this point that some characters, particularly Batso and Ratso, it, this is something that happens in Archie. Um, either I can't remember if it's if it's comics or the cartoon, but I remember it, which is the characters covering their mouths when they laugh. And I didn't really think about it, but I don't really understand that. Why? Why do that? You mean just like not cartoons, but in life, too? Well, I've only ever seen it in Archie stuff. Like, huh? Like they seem to think that this is something that people do is like they cover their mouths when they're snicker. And I don't. But there's like. Well, like it's imp- an impish kind of thing, right? Like, <laughs> you know, I, I, guess, I guess. Yeah. But there's like, I think, I, I think maybe classically, you know, you cover your mouth when you cough and you yawn yeah. and everything. Yeah. I think it's just because you know, in times gone by, whatever could be in your mouth might be really gross. You oh, know? okay. Yeah. Showing your tooth or whatever, you know. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. There's <laughs> Dracula asks Sabrina if he wants to see if she wants to see a real vampire coffin. And she's like, of course I do. And he starts coughing. Um, yeah. The the Wolfman gives a weather report, which is basically all the weather in one day. Mm. Um, there's, uh, I don't know. There's a bunch of these. like, And it's all, right. it goes on and on. But we get to see some other characters, like a skeleton. There's a Dr. Jekyll and Hyde, which is a two-headed doctor. One kind of good and one bad. And it's the usual, like, you know, Something's wrong with the skeleton, and they asked him to stick out his tongue, and it's got a coat on it, and it's like, oh, his tongue is coated. That's the problem. <laughs> uh, um, <laughs> all right. Yeah, I mean, I mean the, the level of humor in this, it's all just puns and bad jokes. Mostly, like, yeah. It's, yeah. It's not really sophisticated, and it just continues on and on um, with this this window stuff. You know what this show is? <clears throat> hmm? You know, if you go into like a family van or station wagon, huh. there's a big pocket on the back of the front seats. Oh. And invariably, one of those pockets will have a soft cover book of children's jokes. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Let's so, this. yeah, this is one of those books put to animation, basically. Pretty much. Yeah. Uh, the next sequence is Wolfman's pet tips. He has a pet fish whose name I forgot to write down. But whatever, it's it's basically this flying piranha and he sort of he shows it how he can, you know, train it to, you know, it, it jump through hoops, apparently, except it just eats the hoop and then it can mm. mow the grass by eating it and it can trim the trees by eating it. He gets, tells him to fetch the newspaper and he ends up fetching like Dracula, who is reading the newspaper. Um, and yeah, just, you know, these like zany pet tips. Wah, 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 wah. Right. Um, 
what else? Uh, oh, and now it's um, Bella's advice segment. I think it might be called Ask <laughs> Bella or called Bella. Sure. But uh, Wolfman, who appears to be the main character of this show. You'd think it would be Dracula, but Wolfman seems to be everywhere. He pulls up in his skull-shaped roadster and uh, says that whenever he tries to turn it on on a full moon, it gets covered with pink hair. What do I do? And Bella says she needs he needs to uh, take it out for a style and a set. And he's like, oh, OK, yeah, that's a great idea. Now, the witch, who I think her name was Hagatha. Yeah, uh, she is making a stew and Dracula pops out of the stew. And, you know, it's one of those like zany skit slapstick, you know, pratfall things like whoop, I'm in the stew. And he says that his uh, he needs some sprigs of uh, leaves from a tumbleweed plants. And so Hagatha goes out to pick them, but the tumbleweed and I was wondering what the joke in this was going to be because they're not tumbleweeds like the little balls of like weeds. They're no. like little vines. And yeah. I was wondering how they, the joke was going to be. And it turns out that they mean tumbling as in like acrobatic routines, because when she tries to pick them, they bounce away and they end up bouncing her around between them until she is able to finally like convince them to get into her basket by saying like alley-oop and get in the basket and and they do and she she manages to put the leaves into the stew which uh i guess perks it right up because now it starts bouncing around with dracula still inside it reminded me of that game getting over it with bennett foddy do you know Hmm. that game no it's a it's this game who's it's designed to be really frustrating where you are (laughs) You play as this naked man whose lower half is just a cauldron and you you control it by the mouse moves around the sledgehammer that this character is holding. Okay. And so in this way, you have to hook and bounce your way up to the top of this uh, mountain of garbage. And (laughs) it's just at any moment you can just fall back down. Well, all the while there's this... um, narrator talking to you about the uh the the reality of failure in life truly bizarre yeah it is um so now there's this character who's i i didn't catch this character's name it's like harumphrey or something like that oh you mean you mean the foppish kid yeah so he's like Uh, he's 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 haunt Leroy. oh haunt Leroy. okay okay yeah um so haunt Leroy is like this He's like this little green goblin, like Ratso and Batso, and but he's a stuck-up one. He's riding on this electric bike, which is to say a bike in in place, right? Where it's it's turning by itself, and your feet have to keep up with the pedals, I guess. Mm. And Ratso and Batso decide that um, they're going to play a trick by turning it up to very fast, and so it starts zooming all over the place and loses. What was it, Haunt Leroy? Yes, Haunt Leroy. So it loses him. He ends up in a basketball hoop crying for mommy and uh, the two little troublemakers end up uh, (laughs) with the thing ramming them in a corner and smacking them on the butt (laughs) with its pedals where uh, Frankie says that what he said that all little boys, he said earlier that uh, little boys need a good pedaling, but uh, it turns out that what he actually said is they need a good paddling. (laughs) So now we get the musical number that this whole episode is named after when I grow up, the song when I grow up is being performed by the mummies and the puppies. 
which is obviously a parody of the mamas and the papas. And it's these three female mummies and a series of puppies talking about the wonderful things that they can do when they grow up. And it's it's uh, there's a sort of I don't know what to call it, like music video, like alternate thing going on, like a depiction. Right. There's action going like, on in the meantime. Um, like I said, uh, all these Norm Prescott, Lou Scheimer things have this thing, right? Sure, yeah, yeah. antics going on yeah, in the yeah. background of this song. And yeah. it's long. It's yeah, really yeah. long. It is. It's, <laughs> it's four minutes. It's longer than most pop songs were in this era. It's got like four choruses or five choruses. It just keeps going. Up. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It, like I the, can be anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the kids are are thinking about the three kids, Ratso. I keep wanting to call them Ratso and Fatso, but it's Ratso and <laughs> Batso and Hauntleroy. You know, they're imagining like being a fireman or an Elton John or a, a, hmm. a sailor. Yeah. And um, eventually Hauntleroy kind of gets fed up because because the other two are playing tricks on him like the he's moon bathing like Gomez Adams and they pour ice on him while he's topless. And um, so he decides, you know, he's going to get his revenge in a way. They they all stack up on top of each other, you know, like kids do in an overcoat, <laughs> trying to look like a grown up when they go into the science lab. And while they're playing with the stuff there, it kind of backfires when Hauntleroy gets zapped with rays and made giant. And so he is able to... Uh, run after and apprehend his, I guess, brothers, friends, I don't know, um, mm. and give him a spanking. I will say that my favorite part of this entire thing was in this sequence, and that okay. is there's this one mummy with really long hair that obscures everything except this one pink eye. Yeah. I think the, the design of that character is really cute. I agree. I actually like all the mummies, really, but yeah. she gets center stage. Yes, yes. Um, and yeah, that was my favorite part is that mummy. Um, and that's the end. Yeah, it just goes right I, into the credits from there. Yeah. You sure went in depth on this. <laughs> and well, yet I had to say something at the, at the same time. I'm, uh, I'm slightly disappointed. You didn't do all the, like, uh, the voices, you know, like, ah, oh, this place drives me batty. Well, yeah, it's, <laughs> the voices are weird. Like Dracula sounds like an old man. Like, I mean, yeah. and I think part of the reason that I can't do the voices is like just now, as I said, he sounds like an old man. And I took a breath to do the voice and I realized, Ooh, right. I, I don't know that my lungs can do it. Oh, right, right. That that was my big concern about both being sick as an ability to do like the uh, uh, that's far out. Oh, you know, all that <laughs> the funny out, voices. Oh, that's oh, yeah. But um, Frankie yeah. has a weird voice where it's like almost British. It's like, yeah. I needed that. Like, yes. he actually sounds more like a stereotypical, like, Dracula than Dracula does, really. Sure. Um, I was, you know, it was interesting because every time he gets shocked by lightning, it shows the gears inside. Yeah. And I started thinking, like, Frankenstein wasn't an artificial man, was he? He was like a reanimated corpse. Yeah, he was uh, a mishmash of body parts. Well, no, when I looked it was up, he? I mean, I oh, don't, no? well, I don't, like, I guess... Well, his brain is the wrong thing anyway. When I looked this in up movie. in the actual novel Frankenstein. Yeah. Um, the Wikipedia summary doesn't go into huge detail, but it basically says that it's non-animate matter that Victor Frankenstein was able to animate. And huh. the reason that the creature is so big is because the 
the minute details of human organs are so hard to replicate that he made it on a bigger scale. Huh, so, funny. So I think, and somebody who's read Frankenstein can correct me, but I think it's like, it's not a dead body that he stuck a brain in and shot with lightning to bring it to life. I think he like made a living thing whole cloth. So in when they case, make gears and stuff, it's it's probably more close to what he's supposed to This is actually a, an accurate depiction huh. of of the Frankenstein's monster, the creature, if you will, <laughs> in a way. Huh. Something in Groovy Ghoulies was authentic. Yeah. So this is a really weird thing, like this weird kind of 70s sketch comedy, like laughing, but all monster puns. Um, right. Yeah. It's, I, hmm? I get the sense you really hated it. <laughs> I didn't really hate it. No. I was just kind of baffled by it. It was it's just so frenetic frenetic and aimless that I kind of didn't right. know what to, it was hard to form an opinion of it because it's just all this stuff thrown together. It's my like, favorite bits are when it's really like that, like where they tell a joke, like you said, and then it's just a trap door opening and closing yeah, yeah, a few yeah. times, you know, or like somebody tells a joke and then it's two keys hanging on hooks, clanking against each other. Right? Yeah, yeah. It's just a whole bunch of nonsense. But I'll I quite like it. I'd, I'd rather yeah. watch this than the hilarious House of Frightenstein. Oh, yeah. Similar show. Sure. Sure. This comes from my work friend who previously, like, he's pushed every 70s cartoon that he watched <laughs> back in the day. So, like, Colonel Bragg, or Colonel? Because Colonel Bragg? Um, and uh, uh, Mighty Heroes and all that stuff. <laughs> he recommends a lot of stuff. So, I only usually pick the ones that I kind of like. And this I kind of like, just because it's, it's so tacky and so corny. Yeah, it has that going for it. It's indecipherable in a way that is kind of amusing and it also it has that weird archy connection and right at the same time it's filmation and i always obviously when i think of filmation the first thing i think of is masters of the universe and the next thing that i think of is ghost busters yeah but it's weird it's weird to see other stuff that they've made when they were like one of the like legitimate going concerns in the world of animation. Yeah. And I've said this before. I think it's still true that like, I think of the stuff that uh, filmation slash Norm Prescott, whatever uh, as, as um, has done in terms of their satisfaction, in terms of like the work that speaks to the soul of these creative folks, hmm. I think in like satisfaction from least to most, Maybe it's like Star Trek, the uh, the animated series. <laughs> I forgot they and then, did that. Yeah, and then He-Man. And then, like, we're getting a little better. We get Fat Albert. You know, like, He-Man, mm. they're dying to do Orko and Cringer and stuff. They don't want to do all these rotoscope weirdos, right? Mm-hmm. And, and then Fat Albert, we're getting a little sillier. And then we get, like, the lump of all that Waldo Kitty and stuff. And I think this is, like, the apex, <laughs> the apex filmation where they're just like, yeah, man, like... Everybody's got a silly voice. Everybody's got a really silly run cycle. <laughs> yeah. And oh, the songs are so funny. Like, I like, uh, uh, I can't remember if it's, it's, if it's uh, Batso or Ratso has got such a, a funny tiptoe running cycle, hmm. you know, and uh, Drax cycles pretty funny too. Um, and then just, yeah, like they get to animate stuff just like, you know, a jumping cauldron or, hmm. you know, some laughing window shutters i think this is their true soul you know sure. and having to work on something like uh 
brave star is a real bummer for mm, these guys. Mm, mm. I oh, can also, yeah, uh, you brought up Sabrina. As I understand it, this is non-canon to Sabrina. So sorry <laughs> to disappoint all you uh, groovy ghoulie files. This doesn't count, I guess, in terms of Sabrina's lore. I mean, what is Archie lore at this point? They've been like 16 for 60 years. Uh, you know, I don't know if it was a a uh, amateur satire or if it was satire within the like actual Archie comics. There was a picture. I No, no, it was I think it was my friend. He has a, a, a parody site. Um, I'll, maybe I'll link later if it, if it, it turns out to be him. But uh, it was a, a cover where classic Archie meets Riverdale. <laughs> so they're like realistically drawn guys. And Archie looks over to the <laughs> realistically drawn version of himself and says, hey, he's got my good looks. <laughs> I could I can totally imagine that like coming out of Archie. <laughs> yeah, out of an actual comic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, um so yeah, Groovy Ghoulies. Uh oh, and if you're searching for this, it's as Micah said last week, it's G-O-O-L-I-E-S. I guess right. they I guess the world hadn't figured out how to spell the world word ghoul yet. No, no, it's to stand out. But, you know, I have a few voice actor things for this. Oh, okay. Go ahead, please. Larry Storch is Drac. It's driving me batty. Um, He primarily was an F troop, which I uh, didn't watch. My brother was a fan of it. Um, But the thing I find remarkable about it is he was born in the 20s and he's still alive. Whoa. Yeah, he's 99, according to uh, all sources I could find. So as, as, as of this broadcast, Larry Storch, still alive. A rarity on this show when we talk about voice actors. Good for him. Yeah. Um, Howard Morris is Frankie, Wolfie, Hauntleroy, and others. And he's also Adam Ant, uh, Montague Jetson, and he was Sweet Chuck in Police Academy of the Series. Sweet um, Chuck. Wasn't, isn't he Wade the Duck? You know, I missed that, but I think that was the link, wasn't it? Howard it Mor- that sounds familiar. That sounds about right. As soon as you said Howard Morris, that was the first thing I thought was, hey, isn't that Wade Duck? That's crazy. Ow-woo. Yeah, I think so. Oh, and I always have to mention it when he's on. He's our new Frank Welker, I guess. He's Larry D. Mann is back as Bone Apart. Right. You know, Yukon yeah. Cor- Cornelius and uh, the uh, Tin Woodsman from uh, Tales of the Wizard of Oz. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That voice. Yeah. I knew I recognized that name. I couldn't think of where, though. Hey. All right. Well, neat. Uh, what was the other thing that we were watching? I don't remember. Tell me what the other thing I told you to watch is. <laughs> yeah. I had that panic, too. Right. I, I listened to oh, just my recording to see if I could piece together what it was. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's 101 Dalmatian Street. Right. The first episode, which is comprised of the half episodes. Dog's Best Friend, and Boom Night. Uh, both parts directed by Miklos Wiegert in 2019. Maybe that's Weigert. Anyway, 101 Dalmatians. I think everybody knows this from the Disney movie adapted from a novel about a uh, couple who who each have a pet Dalmatian and they mate and have 15 puppies. And Anita, the, 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 the woman in that couple, her school associate Corella DeVille wants to kidnap them so that she can make a fur coat out of Dalmatian fur. And she has enough puppy, enough Dalmatian puppies that combine. There's a hundred of them. Well, 99, I guess. So this is a property that 
Disney has spun forward and made adaptations. And this is one of them where it's just 101 Dalmatians, no human owners that live on, I guess, 101 Dalmatian Street. You know, like really crowded uh, um, British housing. Yeah, Camden um, Town, London. Yes, and theirs stands out because, of course, naturally it's spotted. Yeah. Canonically, um, I believe these are the descendants of Pongo and Purdy. You know what? I read that. Um, I'll get into that later. Okay. I, I, I've tried to reconcile that. All right. Um, first off, though. Okay, so eldest pup Dylan fantasizes about being in a filth-eliminating mecca, but actually he's just using a vacuum cleaner. He's, he's fastidious, but his sister Dolly and the other 97 puppies are rambunctious and messy. The parents trade off, Delilah going to work while Doug has just come home, all covered in soot from a night shift as a firefighting Dalmatian. Dylan observes the neighborhood dog, Clarissa, neighbor, neighborhood, sorry, neighbor dog, their next door neighbor, Clarissa, relaxing in luxury in her home while her pet human attends to her and does all the cleaning. Uh, his little siblings, Dizzy and Dee Dee, overhear their older brother's musings and they uh, take, they undertake a mission to acquire him a pet human. The first couple of humans, they, there's few, few humans they see at the cafe are too goth, too mean, too vain. But the next one, a lovelorn dork who's looking for matches on his dating app, seems adorable enough. After he fails to get matched with the woman whose picture he likes, he agreeably follows the tugging pups to their home. And they dub him Mr. Fuzzy. And Dylan, you know, he, he tries to eject the human. But the appeal of getting tummy tickles is too much. So he considers that, you know, it might not be a bad idea. Especially if he's like Clarissa's human. Dolly resists too, but he's won over, she, she rather is won over by his charm. The human, however, is hopeless at household chores, uh, though his silliness is enjoyed by the pups. Awoken from his sleep, Father Doug warns about the needs of a human pet and mentions the trigger word park, which starts a family outing. They teach Mr. Fuzzy how to fetch by throwing his phone. And by the end, they have fun, but notably, the woman that he liked from the dating booth is working there at, the, at a... Uh, Wow, I'm sure tongue-tied today. He's, um, the woman that he liked from the dating app, she works at a uh, foodery booth, some kind of uh, vending booth. Later, back at the house, Mr. Fuzzy makes the self-serving food machines go haywire. See, it's just, it's just dogs in this house. They, they have a whole lot of like automated machines. Anyway, the, the, the food-serving machine goes haywire, makes a big mess, and... Father Doug helps Dylan realize they can't keep Mr. Fuzzy. Dylan goes a step further than just letting him go. He takes the human back to the park and forces a meeting with that food vendor, who, by remarkable coincidence, was just then looking at his profile on her dating app. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's cute. I like it, I like it. So, uh, the next episode we're looking at is uh, Boom Night. In it, Dylan hustles to round up all the pups from the fairgrounds in order to escape the terrors of Boom Night. And, you know, 
talking about fireworks, which dogs in real life are, are quite scared of. Freewheeling, that is to say on a skateboard, Dolly is all play and no help. And also, she gets invited by the cool kid and fox, Fergus, to hang out with the canal crew out on the barge on boom night. The canal crew is Fergus himself, Big Fee, a rat, and Sid, a squirrel. Uh, Dylan, the older brother, voices his dissent, but he has to round up Dorothy, one of the pups, who is taking sticks from a pile set up to be a, a, a pyre when they do the celebration at night. Anyway, later at the house, Doug and Delilah are relieved that the puppies are all back and safe from the most terrifying night of the year, boom night. The two busy parents, however, they have to go out and work during it. Dolly remains intent on rebelliously going out to meet the canal crew, but she sensibly safeguards herself by donning an outfit made of tennis balls. <laughs> so it makes her bouncy and clumsy. She accidentally leaves the front door open, and it's spied by Dorothy implying that maybe she was going to follow. While looking for Dolly and Dorothy, Dylan finds the open door and surmises that they both must have gone out. He dons protective gear too. His is a suit with a colander helmet and aluminum dog food can shoes. So he's roughly as clumsy as Dolly. <laughs> he, also, <laughs> he also has bunny ears on as a leftover uh, ear protection for Boom Night. Yeah, so, Dorothy got his special helmet. And so he had to wear yeah. Dorothy's bunny ear earmuffs. Yeah, because that <laughs> helmet wouldn't have looked silly. But anyway. <laughs> so... He catches up with Dolly at the barge, and despite her actions, she's actually terrified of Boom Night. Anyway, he learns that Dorothy isn't there. That's the little pup that wanted the stick. And Fergus informs them that Dorothy was near the pyre earlier. I mean, she was, but back when we saw her originally. Anyway, the older Dalmatian pups hurry to the festival and narrowly avoid being spotted by their father as he howls on a passing fire engine. Dylan thinks he sees Dorothy atop the as-yet-unlit pyre, but when he climbs up there, it turns out just to be a plastic bag that's hooked on a stick. In fact, from there, he can see that Dorothy is back home and on the roof. Dolly plugs some fountain sprinklers, follow me here, and the pressure launches her up to take Dylan off the wood bundle before it's lit afire. The two hustle home and avoid being seen by their father a second time. When they go to the roof, Dolly gets stuck in the passage, but to solve it, she calls Ball in order to trigger all the pups to come force her through. Thus, all the family. Hmm? I like this. I like I like how amorphous the puppies are. Like, oh, yeah. They're like a bee swarm in cartoons. Yeah, it's like it when she comes when she calls Ball and they all come running. It goes to this like kind of long shot and this like f black and white fountain kind of pours out the top of the building. Right, it's, right. It's pretty cool. I, I I think in total, I think there's 12 pups that have names and the rest of them are just, yeah, <clears throat> yeah part of the swarm. There's, I could, I have liked, there's a, there's a video on YouTube, which I have liked, so I could go find it. It's like singing the oh, names of as many of the puppies as they could. There's the a, wiki's front page has like portraits of them all. Um, There's a bunch. They all start with the letter D. Yeah, which uh, is just uh, just tempting fate for podcasters to mix them up. Um, yeah. Dylan, Dolly, Dorothy, Diesel, Dizzy, 
there's three that are like stuck up. Um, da Vinci. Huh. There's there's a bunch. Wow, you watch a lot of the show, I guess, eh? Uh, I watched that song a bunch of times. <laughs> oh, <laughs> so yes. Uh, so all the pups are on the rooftop, and thus they're all able to witness the dazzling fireworks display, <clears throat> display, and lose their fear of boom night. And there you go. That's the episode. Hey, I think, I think this show is really cute. I do too. I all of it's pretty good, really. Yeah. Um, the stories are good. I. I really wa- I watched another episode afterward, and I really warmed to it as I understand that the show is really about two older siblings that have to act as the parents because their actual parents are busy. They yeah. have, you know, they're they're both career dogs. Yeah, it's um, like uh, Doug is a fire dog and Delilah is a medic, and so they just kind of tag team. Like one of them is at work while the other is asleep, pretty constantly. And so it really right. is, as you say, it's Dylan and Dolly being the the parent figures, you know. Dolly being kind of freewheeling and fun-loving and Dylan being really paranoid. And You're right. And various other dogs have their own personalities. Like one of them, I think it's Da Vinci, is always convinced of like terrible omens that mean disaster. Um, no, I think that's Dante. Oh, yes, you're right. Dante, sorry. Yeah. I hear I got it now. I got it now. Uh, Doug, Delilah, Dylan, Dolly, Dante, DJ, Delgado, Dawkins, Da Vinci, Deepak, Diesel, Dizzy, Dee Dee, Destiny, Dallas, Deja Vu... And Dorothy. Hmm. You know, it's kind of funny, too, that that Dolly and Dylan, I think, have American voices. But most of the pups have uh, charming British voices. Well, Doug I, 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 make, a, I make fun. Yeah. Doug has an American voice, too. I think the idea is that Delilah oh, right, is right. the British Dalmatian and Doug is an American import. And so. Oh, OK. So the puppies are kind of a mix huh well at, at any rate i make fun but they have really charming voices yeah I, all all of them all of them really inclu- including uh the main ones mm-hmm. um now as far as like the the general property of 101 dalmatians in the original movie um as a kid i had like a low-key uh, i low-key shunned the silver age of disney hmm. i think mostly just because it seemed lame you know like, in comparison to concepts like, you know, it's a, it's a puppet boy that's brought to life by a fairy or, uh, you know, or it's a knight that has to rescue a princess and all this stuff. And then trying to sell to me like, oh, there's there's a bunch of dogs and there's a woman who wants to make a fur coat. Mm. It didn't seem cool to me, right? Yeah. But I had a couple of nephews and a niece that would obsessively watch and rewatch some Disney VHS tapes. Mm-hmm. So I became super familiar with 101 <laughs> Dalmatians. <laughs> yeah. It's pretty good. It's all right. Yeah. It's it. Yeah. Now, as far as uh, me trying to reconcile this idea that uh, Delilah, at the very least, is the descendant of the original couple of dogs. Mm-hmm. Okay. So at the end of the movie, which I guess takes place in the 70s. I think the book is from the 50s. At any rate, the, the this cartoon, Dalmatian Street, is in the modern day. Um, so, boy, that would have to be generations of dogs when <laughs> I think about it now. Yeah. Uh, they, they even acknowledge that in the show, that humans live for 100 years. And I looked at like the ages, and it said that uh, uh, Dolly was 10 in dog years. Mm. So really, she's like a year and a few months <laughs> old. <laughs> um, at any rate. 
Uh, so Roger and Anita, the original humans that own these dogs, at the end of the movie, supposedly they leave to the country to make a Dalmatian plantation. Right. After he makes all that money from his songs. Yeah. Okay. So what I suppose is they kept the house to rent out. And then sometime down the line, they realized that their dogs and most animals were sentient. <laughs> Pongo's virility and Perdita's fertility must have been passed down to their offspring <laughs> so that so that they, they too have double digit litters. All right. So uh, Doug Delilah, their pups and some cousins decided to be city dogs. And Anita and Roger, rather than fix up their old house, just decide that that they're, all these dogs can go live in it and they'll write it off and have it demolished after some period of time. <laughs> that That's my can, my reckoning for how that all fits. Okay. Now, sometime in this series, it's hinted in the credits, and I know there's episodes that have titles that uh, uh, forecast that uh, Cruella de Vil is in them. Yes. She would be like a hundred years old, like Larry Storch territory. Um, at this point, wouldn't she? Let's see. I guess it depends how old you think, um, let's say Anita is in 100 yeah. Dalmatians. I think she's in her 20s. Okay. So that's like 50 years ago. So then Corolla's like... She'd be a senior citizen. She'd yeah. be like 70. Yeah. So I guess I'll have to wait for that episode to confirm... If, if, if any of this makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> um, I've seen they, the episodes in question. Um, yeah. Or, or at least parts of them. And like Delilah is like basically Corella DeVille like moves in next door. And oh. Delilah knows who Corella DeVille is. Like she she knows the stories from her her grand. Oh, uh, so it so, is. So she's like, OK, so she's like, it's her. So, yeah, there is a connection. Does she, does she evict Clarissa or do they move to the other side? I don't remember exactly. Okay. Huh. See, I was thinking like that this didn't make any sense when you compare oh, the two. Maybe she, I, maybe she was actually visiting with Clarissa's, um, like maybe they were looking oh, through Clarissa and it's like, oh, wait a minute, there's, they have a visitor. Oh my gosh, it's her. All right. Huh. So I was thinking like, do these things mesh? And at first my gut was like, no, they don't. But you know, this is just, this is just Disney capitalizing on its property a million times over. Yeah. But the more I thought about it, if there was a, I know there is a sequel, but let's assume there was a different sequel to the first movie yeah. and it was modern day and it was all these dogs living in a house with no human owners. I could see that. Mm -hmm. The only thing that doesn't quite mesh is, Bending, you know, comedic physics like, uh, you know, dogs digging through floorboards and stuff like that, you know. Yeah. That that, that kind of stuff happens. Or um, also that uh, the dogs will use their paws like human hands sometimes whenever it's convenient. Yeah. That I don't think that would happen in the original movie. But otherwise, I think so. I think it works. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, so I, I did watch the next episode and like, like you said, I, I like this good entertaining show. Mm -hmm. um, I like the, I like the designs, yeah. both the humans and the dogs. You know what this is for people that don't like watch a lot of t uh, TV animation mm -hmm. in the modern day, but you have gone to like see movies. This is like the bone they throw to animators 
to do it in classic styles yeah. at the end credits of movies, you know? <laughs> That's kind of the style of this show. Yeah. Um, I like that all the Dalmatians look different, like... Some of them, yeah, like easy to do. There's at least one that's black with white spots. There's one that doesn't have back legs and has like a little cart. Um, Dorothy, I think, oh, is okay. pure white. Um, yeah, there's I like I like Dolly with her long floppy ears. Yeah, she's cute. And, and her three black spots underneath each eye. Yeah. And and <laughs> a series of bangles for a collar. Yep. And her voice. Ah, uh, yes. Yes, her voice. Michaela Dietz. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Amethyst and uh, Daryl McGee from The Ghost And. Yep. Yum, yum. Yeah, great voice. Yeah. Yeah, so I think this is a good show. I did. I like and, it. and the song, like, it has a different, it has a, uh, it has a opening theme song and a closing theme song, and they're both pretty good oh, songs. Oh, great. Yeah, Peppy. Yeah. Don't skip them. Yeah, yeah, they're nice. So, hmm. yeah. So, 101 Dalmatian Street. Uh, like I said last week, I think it was made for the European audience. Is it on Disney Plus? Is that where you saw it? It is, yeah. Okay, so... It... Oh, yeah, yeah. This came out for the European audience two years earlier. Mm-hmm. But it... Makes me wonder what Europeans think of the voice characterization, but it... it yeah, they probably... Probably doesn't matter. British people probably watch enough American TV. They don't think about it. Yeah. So, and it, and it is... It's set in England, and there's mostly... Mostly British accents um so yeah 101 animation street's pretty good and groovy ghoulies is weird um <laughs> it, well i think you could watch consecutive episodes of 101 dalmatian street i i think uh, groovy ghoulies would wear thin if you had to watch two in a row yeah true but yeah as as a curiosity it's pretty funny yeah all right well Let's see what we're curious about next week. Let me look at my calendar. Uh, oh, it's Father's Day. Hmm. And so we <laughs> we made I don't remember this, but I guess you do. Apparently, we made a promise yeah. last year. Last year, we watched a goofy movie because that seemed like a dad cartoon, uh, dad movie. Yeah. And it uh, was a wry joke I made. OK, well, that next year, next year. And you're like, oh, yeah, next year. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, we're going to watch an extremely goofy. Like <laughs> uh, my, my breathing. So now it's we're we're going to watch an extremely goofy movie. Hmm. Um, again, I haven't seen this one, but I think people tend to like it. I have. It's good. I like it. OK. So, yeah, that I'll, I'll be interested to see this in the meantime. Uh, make sure to tweet at us all the suggestions about stuff that we should talk about. Uh, tell us what you think of 101 Dalmatian Street. If you have any memories of the groovy ghoulies. Or the hilarious House of Frightenstein. That's a deep cut. Um, I'm at AC Matsy on Twitter if you would like to talk to me about such things. And I'm at Drabswatch. And as always, it's the Celery Stalker slogan, Banana Slamma... No, wait, wait, that's not it. Uh, alone on my raft, radio... No, no, that's not... Uh, I ain't afraid... No, wait, no, that's not right. Oh, I got it. It's the Celery Stalker slogan... I sure needed that.